listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Tuesday, July the 5th in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me will be Pastor Mark Smith as we take a look at a hymn where charity and love prevail. prevail. This hymn was traditionally thought to have been originated in a Benedictine monastery. But Dag Norberg advanced the name of Paulinus, patriarch of Aqualia, as the possible author. It is inspired by Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. It emphasizes especially the love that is shared among Christians because of Christ's love for them. One of the primary qualities of this text is its emphasis on the distinctiveness of Christian love and charity. God's people are assembled not of their own accord, not according to their own planning, but are brought together by Christ's love and by love are bound. Christ's love is evident by his active work to save and gather his church together around his love. As those gathered into Christ's life, Christians learn in the congregation also to love as Christ has loved. Now, this is not a moralistic learning of rules and behavior, nor is it ingrained through the legalistic repetition of good practices. It is rather a learning that is ignited and enlivened through worship. With grateful joy and holy fear, his charity we learn. Perfect worship of God is faith in Jesus Christ and his salvation, which then issues in grateful hearts and holy fear. Now, this hymn is also the hymn of the day for proper 10, which we will be taking a look at. So, Pastor Mark Smith, what do you think of this hymn where charity and love prevail? Well, it's, it's, it's got to be a good one. I can't, I can't say I'm real, real familiar with it, but uh, I, think it's, I think there's a, a lot of truth in it. And uh, Yeah, notice yeah. what the heading in the hymnal is for it. Society. Yeah, society. Yeah. And that is how we operate in the world as Christians. Did, did you talk much about July 4th this past Sunday? Oh, I had some uh, opening references to it, some opening. I had a couple illustrations along that line. Yeah, what I did is I had an essay that had been done by public school students about what freedom was. And I compared their view of freedom to how the church recognizes the freedom in the United States. And of course, the students were saying, we have the freedom to say whatever we want 
and to have the morals that we want rather than any being forced upon us. And I share that, no, from a Christian point of view, freedom means having God's will and desiring to do it because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so there is a kind of a different view of freedom between the Christian and the non-Christian. Right. In fact, I would have thought that this also could have been in the area of sanctification, because that's really what this hymn is talking about. It's not talking about how you get justified uh, by your works, but once you are justified, this is the kind of attitude that you have and grow in because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The question that uh, rises up in my mind, Tom, is uh, very simple. How would you describe, well, how would you differentiate between love and charity? Where charity and love prevail, how would you differentiate between those two? Well, is that in a verse? That's in the title. (laughs) Where charity and love prevail. Let's see. Yes. Oh, okay. Where charity and love prevail. Okay, what's the distinction? Well, what was the English word used for love a lot of times in the Bible? Agape. For for distinctly Christian love would be agape. Uh, the English word. Um, I, I think it's used, uh, I think charity is sometimes used in the place of Yes, love. exactly. And so charity, as we're going to see, is where the Christian desires to love the neighbor as God so loved us. So I don't see a distinction between charity and love. Uh-huh. It's I just interesting think, because I think the hymn, I think the hymn, at least the translator or the hymn writer seems to make a distinction there. I wonder if it isn't meaning um, charitable, charity, meaning uh, uh, leniency and judgment. You know, we're not we're not supposed to judge uh, others um, that you may not be judged, that be lenient in, in our judgment of others. Or also, another word for charity would be uh, uh, helping those in need. Yes. Where do you think the original Greek is for charity? What's the word for grace? Oh, let's see. In the Greek. I know it if I hear it. Charisma? Uh, Yeah, right. That's right, charisma, right. That's uh, And see, that's where the word charity yeah. comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see, sure, yeah. And so what charity would be, would be our acting in a gracious way toward others, mm-hmm. which is summarized okay. by love. So okay. that's how I would make a distinction between the two. Okay. Well, go All ahead right. with stanza one. Where charity and love prevail, there God is ever found. Brought here together by Christ's love, 
by love are we thus bound. See, this is really talking about sanctification, that once you are justified, then the Holy Spirit is, of course, a gift given to you, and he gives you what? The forgiveness of sins, and he gives you himself. And this is really important to understand that good works are necessary for a Christian to do, but not to do in order to be saved, right? but rather to do because we are already saved and justified by Christ. That's right. They are they a are product. That's right. They are important. They're important and God wants us to do them. Yes. And they're kind of spontaneous. They're, they're not following a bunch of moralism, but following what the Holy Spirit guides us so to do. So that's where charity and love prevail. And notice, you can't have it unless God is found there. Right. So what does that mean? Well, he's the origin. He's the motivation. His, His gospel is the motivation. He's the origin of all true love. Yes. So that's what the church's task is all about, is to share what Jesus Christ did so that true charity and love can prevail in the hearts of others. And they too can be sanctified, that is, respond to God because of his love for us. Okay, let me do uh, stanza two, okay? Okay. With grateful joy and holy fear, his charity we learn. Let us with heart and mind and soul now love them in return. So I think that explains a little bit more what is meant by charity. So what do we learn according to verse 2? Let's see. I'm, I'm looking at this over again as you read it. With grateful joy and holy fear, his charity we learn. Let us with heart and mind and soul now love him in return. We love because he first loved us. Right. In other words, his charity we learn is talking about how gracious Jesus Christ is toward us. And that occurred because of his incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. All those things were done for us. Now, some people may have a question, especially children. We understand with grateful joy, what's this and holy fear? What's this holy fear? That's that's what begins. Uh, we should fear, love God. Uh, well, it's it's an awesomeness that we have about God. You know, we, we know that God. You know, we don't we don't deserve any of what He's done for us. We know that if He wanted to uh, to crush us, He could. Uh, he's He's Almighty. Uh, we stand in awe of Him. Uh, so that's the holy fear we should have. Um, it's 
it's a it's a, a holy fear that we we know that he has the ability if he wanted to just wipe us off the mat he could map he yes. could but but he's chosen rather to to send his own son for us right i i think children have a holy fear of parents yes what do you think yeah how, i would agree how, how would you explain that would you explain that? Try to try to remember how you feel about your parents. Well, they, I, I can always, I, I can remember as, a, as being as being just a, a little child, thinking my my parents know everything. They, you know, they always know. They're always right. Yes, I I would take that to mean that they could discipline us when right. we do wrong, and so therefore we have a holy fear that they have the ability from God to discipline us, but it is also a wonderful joy we have in being a member of the family. Yeah, I think one of the one of the fears we have as a child is the, probably the worst fear is is being lost from our parents, being separated from them, or our parents, you know, uh, dying. Uh, what will happen to me? Um, that's the kind of fear we have uh, losing our parents. That's probably the, that's probably the paramount fear that every child has. Yes. And, and you can see that in television movies or real life where a child has lost a mother or father when they were younger. It just does make a difference in their life. No and so doubt. Translate that, translate that to the fear we have of God. You know, uh, remember what Jesus himself cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was probably the fear that, uh, that was probably the terrible uh, feeling that he felt in Gethsemane when he was extremely sorrowful, even to the point of death. Well you know, said. that his own heavenly father was going to turn his back on him. Exactly. Well said. All right. Stanza three, please. Forgive Forgive we now each other's faults, as we our faults confess, and let us love each other well in Christian holiness. So what is the basic condition and attitude on the part of a believer in contrast to an unbeliever? Forgiveness. Yes. Yeah, and that's where we get the word charitable, you know, to be charitable toward others. Uh, you know, put, putting the best construction on everything and and uh, to be lenient and understanding in what we think of others. Yes, there's a lot of people who are a little worried about salvation because there has been an occasion where somebody did something wrong to them and they have real difficulty in what they think is forgiving them. Oh, yeah. But... I've discovered that they don't understand what forgiveness is. Right, right. When they have that attitude. What, what is forgiveness? Either that or they've forgotten about how they've been forgiven. Right. But have they really truly forgiven someone when they feel they haven't? Oh, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. You can't look into each other's heart. Explain, well, think, ex explain what you were saying, Tom. I, I, I'm anxious to hear what... Uh, yes. Forgiveness 
When Christ forgives you, it means he no longer is holding you personally accountable for your sins. There you go. That's right. Absolutely. It doesn't so mean that, that we it doesn't mean that we aren't guilty. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that the person against us is not guilty. Right. What it means is we're not going to get even. That's right. And a lot of Christians may still be angry. Uh, for for example, uh, you, you'll see in movies every now and then that, let's say, a husband cheats on the wife, and the wife says, I will never forgive him. Well, that is a misunderstanding of forgiveness because she's not getting even with him. Right. She's not punishing him. Uh, she's just letting it go by, and she really has forgiven him. Right. The only time that doesn't happen is when they take vengeance. Mm -hmm. That is the difference. And why are we not to take vengeance? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Exactly. And so I've helped a lot of people who say, I can't forgive what they've done. And they mean by that, I can't forget it. I, I can't still be angry with them. No. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're still not angry. It, it means that you are not going to take vengeance upon them. And that is the Christian life. Yeah, so, that's very helpful, Tom. I think, I think you're right. You know, you, you, you love your brother. You, you, you understand. You understand the temptation that your brother was under, your, your sister in Christ, and, uh, and yet you don't, you don't hold it against them. You don't plot to get even and, and uh, take out vengeance upon them. It doesn't mean, you know, who can forget? If somebody has deeply hurt us, who can really forget that except, you know, uh, God? Uh, but, um, I mean, yeah, I use the example of a storekeeper. He gets robbed, and his daughter, who's working there, uh, gets shot. Now, he's not going to forget that. No. Uh -uh. But what you do is not take vengeance. You instead go to God, which means you call the police, you have the person arrested, and let God take care of them through the trial and the punishment that they will receive for robbing your store and hurting your daughter. Right. Good example. Okay. I'll read four. Let strife among us be unknown, for all contention cease. Be God's the glory that we seek. Be ours his holy peace. Now, I don't know about your experience, knowing the congregations you are in and were. I, I don't think you had much dissension. And I know I sure didn't in, in my congregation. No, I, I don't remember anybody arguing with me that the body and blood of Jesus Christ was not in the Lord's Supper or anything like that. If there were dissension, it usually came about because of personality conflicts rather than doctrine. Now, in the Synod, it came about because of doctrine, because of the false teaching of the seminary in St. Louis, and that resulted in Seminex and now Elka. But by and large, I discover in most congregations, any ill feeling doesn't really occur because of the doctrine. 
but because of a personality problem. What's your thinking? A lot of times it's just little things. Little things will, will cause contention in the congregation. Yes. Differences of opinion on, on, uh, on some things. But, uh, yeah, uh, it happens in the parish. It, I mean, it, it, it definitely does happen. And uh, I, I experienced a little bit of that. And, and probably, as I look back on it, maybe some of the fault was mine. You know, when you're young, a uh, young pastor, you, know, you make mistakes. And uh, the, the point is, we, you know, we try to be charitable toward our members. Um, and the way we do that is according to stanza five, if you'll read that. Let us recall that in our midst dwells Christ, his only Son. As members of his body joined, we are in him made one. See, that's yeah, you really... Know, that's the thing. You know, when you... Uh, one of the deterrents that is very helpful when you do have these, these uh, minor contentions, at least, is, uh, hey, we have just had the Lord's body and blood we've just partaken of his body and blood let's uh let's put aside these minor trivial differences and uh let's let's think about the blessing that we've just we've just partaken of i think, you hit I think on... that's, that's something you you go back to again and again we have just communed we have just knelt at the same altar and partaken of our lord uh how can we how can we have these uh these contingents and, and, and minor differences. What were you going to say? I was going to say it's just not the Lord's Supper, but the entire worship service. Right, right. Worship is kind of a rest from our work. Uh, that's according to Scripture, where we now need not have to have any hate towards our neighbors, etc. And we learn that through the liturgy, through baptism, through the readings, through the sermon, hopefully, and through the prayers. And as we join together with other Christians, our attitude towards them can change because the Holy Spirit is working through word and sacrament. That's called a means of grace. That's why worshiping together is so important. You know, during this uh, COVID during the, uh, the, the the COVID that we all in the church endured, a lot of people, of course, you know, they for many months would listen in on Zoom or other contrivances and uh, sometimes on the radio. And that, that's a blessing. But, uh, you know, there's nothing like gathering together. That's why that's why the, the apostles urged us even already in the New Testament, not forsaking the assembling together as the custom of some is, because they realized the, the great blessing of gathering together. Uh, just like I always use the example of a group of trees in a grove. Uh, a grove of trees is a lot stronger than just one single oak that can be blown over. Um, when you gather together as worship, you, you, you sing, you sing those hymns, you confess the creed, and uh, and even afterward, as you gather together, maybe in Bible class or even just out in the narthex, as you, uh, as you leave worship, you can mutually support each other and encourage each other. And that is because of 
verse 6, if you would read that. For love excludes no race or clan that names the Savior's name. Isn't that true, boy? His, his family embraces all whose father is the same. Let me read that again. For love excludes no race or clan that names the Savior's name. His family embraces all whose father is the same. Good to remember. And, and that's referring to Christian congregations. Right. And nobody should be excluded. You know, and, and that's why it's important that a congregation be open to all races, all nations, as they name the Savior's name. And that's the purpose of adult instruction and youth instruction. It's to get them to name the Father as the same. And that's the Holy Spirit working through that so that what that verse is saying is we confess, and we do that every week in the creeds. Now, there's the apostles, the Nicene, the Athanasian. Uh, when do you do the apostles versus the Nicene? You know, we use the apostles and the Nicene pretty much interchangeably. We just kind of take terms. We don't... Uh, we, we do. We use a, a lot of times. We use the apostles, but uh, we will use the Nicene too. Now, the Athanasian Creed, because of its length, that's one that we we use one Sunday a year on Trinity Sunday. Yeah, we Maybe use we the Nicene. We use the Nicene for communion Sundays, uh -huh. and we use yeah, the that... apostles for non-communion. You don't follow that? No, no. And our hymnal has it interchangeably. You could use either one. Right. Okay, well, thank you very much for helping us where charity and love prevail. And we're going to help you understand what is that charity and love on tomorrow's Law and Gospel when we're going to be looking at Solomon again on Proverbs. Uh, join us. I'm Tom Baker, and you've been listening to Mark Smith tomorrow, 9.30, for a Bible study. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.